This is July 26th, 2020. And I'm going to go back to one of the original Chinese texts, uh, one of the Chinese texts first translated into English. Uh, the book is called The Zen Teaching of Wei Hai on Sudden Illumination. And this was translated by the late John Blofeld. Uh, the date of this book, this translation, is 1962. That's uh, a long way back now. I don't know if it's still in print or been reissued, uh, reprinted in a later edition, but uh, it's one of my treasures. Uh, been on my bookshelves ever since I started Zen practice. Uh, Weihai is not um, Bai Zhang Weihai. Uh, Bai Zhang Weihai, his, his Japanese name is Hyakujo. Uh, this is a much lesser known Weihai. Weihai, by the name, by the way, means great pearl. This Weihai is not does not figure into any koans. Um, and uh, and yet he received the highest of of uh, tributes from the great Mazu, his master. This Weihai is Da Chu Weihai. Just a little bit of biographical material, not much. <clears throat> This appears in the middle of the book. The full name of this text uh, is uh, Chan Master Weihai's Treatise on the Essential Gateway to Truth by Means of Instantaneous Awakening. You know, some I've noticed that books that have been published in recent years uh, are uh, having the longer and longer subtitles. Uh, this was uh, not a subtitle, it's just the full formal name of this treatise, also known as a Shastra. Uh, any any uh, text uh, that is a commentary on the Dharma not the original uh, sutras by the Buddha, but a commentary can be called uh, part of the huge canon of, <clears throat> of texts uh, called Shastras. Here's how he, uh, his or original encounter with the great Mazu. Mazu, uh, his dates are maybe the seventh century China, and uh, he's uh, famous for having had 139 enlightened disciples. And uh, we, this Weihai was one of them, but when he first got there, he wasn't enlightened. Uh, and Matsu asked him, from where have you come? From the great cloud monastery at so-and-so. Matsu. 
What do you hope to gain by coming here? Wehai, I have come seeking the Buddha Dharma. And to this, Madzu replied, Instead of looking to the treasure house, which is your very own, you have left home and gone wandering far away. What for? I have absolutely nothing here at all. What is this Buddha Dharma that you seek? Let me just uh, comment on that one point. I have absolutely nothing here at all. This is fundamental to the Zen school, the Chan school of Zen, that uh, there is no dogma. Um, it's a teaching of direct experience without attachment to words and concepts and that ultimately there is nothing. This is what enlightenment reveals that this this world of appearances of forms the trillions and gajillions of different forms of things. The world of phenomena is really one of non-substantiality, which means contrary to appearances, there's nothing. Nothing at all. I'm uh, giving this Taisho in my quarters at the Zen Center, and uh, to my left is a scroll uh, that uh, was hanging in the same place when Roshi Kaplow uh, lived in these quarters. And uh, the calligraphy on the scroll says, from the very beginning, there has never been a single thing. Realizing that as through direct experience, and seeing that as not other than the world of form is what we call awakening. So if that's true of, of every single thing we can see around us, uh, it's certainly also true of this, the, the Dharma, the teaching. This teaching is a no teaching. And so he's speaking the truth when he says, I have absolutely nothing here at all. And then Wehai made a prostration and asked, please tell me to what you meant when you spoke of a treasure house of my very own. Now this is, this is the turning point in this exchange between the two of them. Now he's wondering. Matsu has brought him to the point of questioning. That's a, that is a uh, hugely significant shift.
when we're questioning, we're open. When we're wondering, we're open. We're not clinging to our concepts, our ideas. This is the genius of the koan system, is they're based on questioning. We can't question or wonder and still be hanging on to our ideas and our thoughts. Please tell me what you meant when you spoke of a treasure house of my very own. And at that, Matsu says, that which asks the question is your treasure house. It contains absolutely everything you need and lacks nothing at all. It is there for you to use freely, so why this vain search for something outside yourself? He's re referring, of course, to what we call our true nature, our essential mind, our Buddha mind. So Matsu comes right back at him. Why this searching for something you imagine to be outside yourself? And then the account here says, no sooner were these words spoken then Weihai received a great illumination and recognized his own mind. Okay, he came to enlightenment. He must have been, his mind must have been in a very open, very receptive state uh, for just this one dialogue between the two of them to have... Uh, turned his mind around. <clears throat> and that then Weihai, beside himself with joy, the translation says, he showed his gratitude by prostrating himself again. So then Weihai spent the, the next six years attending on Matsu, uh, but then his, his first teacher, uh, the one at that great cloud monastery uh, who had ordained him, what is sometimes called one's root teacher, because his first teacher was growing old, he felt obliged to return to that province and to look after him, to that monastery. And it says, there he lived a retired life, concealing his abilities and outwardly appearing somewhat mad. What that means, it doesn't say. <clears throat> and it was at this time that he composed his treatise, a treatise setting forth the essential gateway to truth by means of instantaneous awakening. And then, later, it says this book was stolen by... Uh, another monk who took it to uh, show it to Ma Tzu. Remember now he'd been uh, away from Ma Tzu 
after spending six years with him, uh, he'd been far away from him. Matsu read it carefully and declared to his disciples, There is now a great pearl. Its luster penetrates everywhere freely and without obstruction. And so <clears throat> we hide and came to be called uh, the Great Pearl. I'll just move right now, move into the uh, first uh, dialogue here presented in this book. Once the master, and master now, I'll, I'll stay with that. That's the translation. It's master always means we hide, the author of this book. Once the master began his daily address to his disciples by saying, I am no Zen adept. Chan. All right, I'll stick with Chan. Chan means Zen, of course. Chan is the Chinese word for what later became the Japanese word Zen. I am no Chan adept. Indeed, I have not a single thing to offer anyone. So I must not keep you standing here longer. Go and take a rest. <laughs> this is uh, something that is come to this is a this is a an impulse that we've read other masters have when they're about to deliver uh, a talk um, I've had it myself uh, I have not a think single thing to offer anyone so don't let me keep you standing here don't hang around here Go and take a rest. The uh, There's a footnote for that. Go and take a rest is a Chan idiom, meaning you should set your minds at rest. The footnote says the Chinese wording contains the idea of go to yourself. So the saying is a direct pointing to the mind. And then it continues. In those days, the number of people who came to train under the master was gradually increasing. As day follows night, they came and pressed him for instruction. He was compelled to answer their questions as soon as asked, thus revealing his unimpeded powers of dialect, dialectic. Endless discussions took place with questions and answers following one upon another. Once a group of Dharma masters, these were not Chan masters, they were, in parentheses it says, learned preachers. This is a, I would call this a, a, a rare misstep in John Blofeld's translation. He was a great, great translator as far as I can tell. Uh, but we don't use that word uh, in Buddhism, preachers. Anyway, they were they were probably uh, um, Dharma scholars. Uh, they sought an interview and they said, we have some questions to ask. 
Are you prepared to answer them, Master? Uh, the master said, yes, the moon is reflected in that deep pond there. Catch it if you like. Uh, of course, <clears throat> the moon is our true nature and uh, the pond water uh, no, the moon is enlightenment in this case, and the pond water is our, our true nature. So what he's implying is, how can enlightenment be caught? Uh, so then the first question, what is the Buddha really like? Master said, if that which is facing the limpid pond is not the Buddha, what is it? Well, these, uh, these scholar masters were puzzled by this, and after a long pause, they came up with their second question. Master, what dharma, or, or what doctrine in this case, that's, what doctrine do you expound in order to liberate others? And then the master said, this poor monk has no dharma by which to liberate others. And then they looked at one another and they said, all Chan masters are of the same stuff. Uh, and then the master asked them, what dharmas do you virtuous, virtuous ones expound for liberating others? Dharmas here in the plural means teachings. What teachings do you virtuous ones? You hear the, uh, the very uh, kind of a lofty civility uh, that they use in addressing one another uh, and the self-effacement. Uh, last week in Taisho I talked about certain uh, basic traits of, of uh, East Asians and one is this expectation of uh, modesty, of self-effacement. And, and you see it here with the Master himself, this, this poor monk. So, he asks them, uh, what teachings do you guys expound for liberating others? And answer, oh, we expound the Diamond Sutra. Master, how many times have you expounded it? And one of them says, oh, more than, more than 20 times. And the Master says, by whom was it spoken? In other words, you know, the Buddha, it's the, the, it's any, those sutras are attributed to the Buddha. To this, the monks answered indignantly, Master, you must be joking. Of course you know it was spoken by the Buddha. To which the Master says, Well, that sutra states, and then he quotes uh, the Diamond Sutra, If someone says the Tathagata, the Tathagata was another way of referring to the Buddha, so here the Buddha is referring to himself. If someone says the Tathagata expounds the Dharma, he thereby slanders the Buddha. Such a person will never understand what I mean. Now that's the end of the Master quoting the Sutra. And then the Master himself says, Now, if you say that it was not expounded by the Buddha, 
you will thereby belittle that sutra. Will you virtuous ones, please let me see what you have to say to that. Well, they seem to have been tongue-tied at that, so the master paused for a while before posing his next question. The Diamond Sutra says, He who seeks me through outward appearance or seeks me in sound treads the heterodox path and cannot perceive the Tathagata. And then again, now Wehai says to them, Tell me, virtuous ones, who or what is the Tathagata? As a loaded question. What is Buddha? And the answer came back, Sir, at this point I find myself utterly deluded. Uh, so taking the, the, uh, the, the humble stance, like a, like a dog uh, turning belly upward to s signal submissiveness, at this point I find myself utterly deluded. And then Wei Hai says, having never been illumined, how can you say that you are now deluded? It's a interesting little comeback there by Wei Hai. Uh, it's like that old saying, uh, a fish doesn't know it's in water. He's saying if you've, you've never been outside of the water, if you've never been outside of delusion, how can you talk about being deluded? He Probably he sees this was not a sincere um, humility on the part of the monks when they say we're deluded. <clears throat> Having never been illumined, how can you say you're deluded? So then the monk who had spoken asked, Will the Venerable Chan Master expound the Dharma to us? And then Matsu says, Though you have expounded the Diamond Sutra over 20 times, you still do not know the Tathagata, Buddha mind. And these words caused the monks to prostrate themselves again and to beg the Master to explain further. So he said, the Diamond Sutra states, The Tathagata is the suchness of all dharmas. The, the Tathagata, or we could say, Buddha nature, is the suchness of all things. And then, uh, Wehai says, How can you have forgotten that? Answer, yeah, Yes, yes, the suchness of all dharmas. Matsu, virtuous ones, yes, is also incorrect. And then the one of the one of these other monks says, Oh wait, on that point the sutra is very clear. How can we be wrong? Wehai, uh, then virtuous ones, are you that suchness too? Answer, yes we are. And are plants and rocks the suchness? They are. Then is the suchness of you virtuous ones the same as the suchness of plants and rocks? There is no difference. Then how do you virtuous ones differ from plants and rocks? 
This silenced the monks for some time, until at last one of them exclaimed with a sigh, Ah, it is hard to keep our end up in discussions with a man so very much our superior. After a considerable pause, they asked, How can Maha Parinivana be attained? Wehai, by avoiding all samsaric deeds, those which keep you in the round of birth and death. What deeds are they? Well, seeking nirvana is a samsaric deed. Casting off impurity and clinging to purity is another. Harboring attainments and proof of attainment is another. And so is failure failure to discard rules and precepts. Now there's a lot packed into this reply of Wehai. Seeking nirvana is a samsaric deed. Samsara, uh, this, the, this means the, the world of, of suffering, really. So seeking, grasping, he really means grasping. Grasping at this idea of some perfect state called nirvana is a samsaric deed. Uh, and then he addresses this matter of purity. Casting off impurity and clinging to purity is another keyword clinging. He means attachment to the idea of purity or the idea of purity standing apart from impurity is another uh, affliction that causes us uh, suffering. Harboring attainments and proofs of attainment is another And so is failure to discard rules and precepts, meaning not uh, violating the precepts, but um, being attached to them, failing to grow beyond attachments to them. And then next question, please tell us how to achieve awakening or the, the translation is deliverance. We high. Never having been bound, you have no need to seek deliverance. Straightforward functioning and straightforward conduct cannot be surpassed. Ah, exclaimed the monks, people like this venerable Chan Master are indeed rare. Then they bowed their thanks and left. Let's just repeat this response of Wehai. Never having been bound, that is in your true nature, we are all equally endowed with this mind of luminous enlightenment. Never having been bound, you have no need to seek after this idea you have of deliverance. Straightforward functioning and straightforward conduct cannot be surpassed. This brings to mind a, a koan, just all of a sudden, at this moment, where the an old woman 
uh, selling tea, cake, tea and cakes along the road to uh, Mount Wutai in China uh, would, would uh, sometimes be asked by uh, pilgrim monks, uh, what is the way to Mount Wutai? Wutai is a very, very illustrious uh, mountain. It's supposed to have been the abode of the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, Manjusri. Uh, that's beside the point right now, um, but it was a very, very a principal pilgrimage site, and uh, they would stop and ask this this uh, old woman. This is uh, a koan in in the Mumonkan. Uh, what is the way to Mount Gotai? They very well may have may have been a sincere question. They they um, were not sure of how to proceed. And to each of these monks, one after another, she would say, Go straight on. Here, Weihai says, Straightforward functioning and straightforward conduct cannot be surpassed. Functioning with an undivided mind. Conducting oneself with an undivided mind cannot be surpassed. It is functioning and conducting oneself free of the shackles of unnecessary thoughts. Now, on to the next uh, passage in this book. Question, what method must we practice in order to attain deliverance? Weihai, it can be attained only through a sudden illumination. There it is. I think it's uh, all too easy to lose sight of this great, great possibility that is open to every single one of us, the possibility of awakening to one's true nature. Our predecessors, Harada Roshi, Yasutani Roshi, and even Roshi Kaplow himself, laid great emphasis on awakening, awakening to one's true nature. This is without question, it has to be the greatest, greatest, most transcendent experience, life transforming experience any human being can have. The, I think the danger in stressing this all the time is that one can become attached to the idea of awakening. And I think, I don't know, but I wonder whether that is uh, 
as 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 uh, Westerners and maybe especially Americans, we are particularly susceptible to such an attachment in a culture that is so heavily driven by achievement. Well, we're not unique in that, but uh, I think where we are unique is our very um, strong sense of an individual self. In uh, all, all human beings, uh, until I suppose full enlightenment, all human beings divide the world. This again back to the 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 uh, a divided mind. Um, East Asians from everything I've read in my six months living there, or more than that, actually, uh, East Asians tend to divide it into us and them. We Japanese, we Chinese, and then everyone else. We divide it differently, Americans. Americans, it's much more of an I and not I. It's uh, more crystallized into the individual self. We touched on this last week in Taisho, uh, where this great emphasis, this, the conditioning in East Asia on, on uh, the collective, not the individual, the collective. Here, we're saddled with this sense of an individual self. But uh, I never would want to give the impression that I think that somehow uh, any culture is more evolved than any other culture. It's just dividing the world in, in different ways. Um, however, any human being divides the world, awakening reveals uh, that it's we can only make such discriminations uh, on a, in a provisional basis. It's underneath any such discriminations is this one mind, this no mind, this true self that is no self. So maybe there is this vulnerability we have uh, of um, getting attached to whether I'm enlightened or, or not enlightened. Uh, in any case, he says, it can be attained only through sudden illumination. Enlightenment. And the question, what is a sudden illumination? Answer. Sudden means ridding yourselves of deluded thoughts instantaneously. Illumination means the realization that illumination is not something to be attained. Let's go back over those two sentences. Sudden 
means ridding yourselves of deluded thoughts instantaneously. That is, seeing through any division into the enlightened or the unenlightened. Uh, seeing through thoughts based on a separate self. But instantaneously. There are those who are not clear about this. They, they, they imagine that if you just sit long enough, sit enough years, that you'll just gradually sort of um, merge or 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 um, bleed into enlightenment in a very gradual way. Well, the yes, the the purification of the mind is gradual, but the experience of awakening is like that. It's not kind of, yes, sort of, maybe. Real awakening is not ambiguous. There's a saying in Japan that uh, Kensho, Kensho awakening, a first awakening experience, leaves you your skin tingling for two weeks. Then the second sentence, Hui Hai says, illumination means the realization that illumination is not something to be attained. Okay. I've often been asked in uh, at introductory workshops, what, what is awakening? And uh, the best answer I've ever come up with, because it's true, is it's awakening to the fact that we are all equally endowed with this enlightened nature. How wonderful! How amazing! Every being without exception, without exception, without exception, is endowed with this great illumined mind, bright luminous mind of enlightenment. But, as the Buddha said with, after his great enlightenment, but because uh, our mind is still deluded, we fail to perceive this enlightenment of ourselves and everyone else. Question, from where do we start this practice? We high. You must start from the very root. And what is that? Mind is the root. Mind. Not something outside us. Not a technique, really. Our own mind. Question, how can this be known? And then Wehai, the Lankavatara Sutra says, when mental processes arise, then do all phenomena spring forth. And when mental processes cease, then do all phenomena cease likewise.
Sometimes Zen has been called uh, part of the mind-only school of Buddhism. There's a koan in the Blue Cliff record, Fuketsu's One Particle of Dust, in which he said to the assembled monks, if one particle of dust is raised, the state will come into being. If no particle of dust is raised, the state will perish. In a very real sense, when we fall into deep sleep, dreamless sleep, the world disappears. And when we wake up in the morning, the world comes into being. The world is recreated. We recreate every morning. We recreate the universe. The same can be said about the state of samadhi, of, of absorption to the point of no subject or object. The world disappears, the universe disappears. Wehai continues, the Vimalakirti Sutra says, those desiring to attain the pure land must first purify their own minds, for the purification of mind is the purity of the Buddha land. And then Wehai says, the sutra of the doctrine bequeathed by the Buddha, I don't know that one, says, just by mind control, all things become possible to us. And then Wehai says, in another sutra it says, Sages seek from mind, not from the Buddha. Fools seek from the Buddha instead of seeking from mind. Wise men regulate their minds rather than their per wise people regulate their minds rather than their persons. Fools regulate their persons rather than their minds. And then he says the sutra of the names of the Buddha states. Evil springs forth from the mind, and by the mind is evil overcome. We high. Thus we may know that all good and evil proceed from our minds, and that mind is therefore the root. If you desire deliverance, you must first know all about the root. Unless you can penetrate to this truth, all your efforts will be in vain. For while you are still seeking something from forms external to yourselves, you will never attain. So, the root, when he says mind, he means no mind. That which is beyond any concept we have of mind, beyond uh, any of our ordinary senses, including thinking, beyond anything we can understand or know. No mind. That's the root. Then the rest, 
The leaves and the branches are all the many secondary practices that support, that, that nourish the roots. Uh, it is uh, honoring the precepts so we're not causing harm to others or ourselves and the many forms of discipline uh, that uh, support this tree of life. And then he quotes another sutra, For as long as you direct your search to the forms around you, you will not attain your goal even after eon upon eon. Whereas by contemplating your inner awareness, you can achieve Buddhahood in a single flash of thought. He means a single flash of no thought. The, the translator, we have no reason to think that the translator himself had this illumination. Otherwise, he might have said, you can achieve Buddhahood in a single flash of no thought. Question, by what means is the root practice to be performed? Answer, only by sitting in meditation, for it is accomplished... Well, I'll just stop there because our time is nearly up. Only by sitting in meditation. And I'm sure that Weihai himself would would say uh, that it does, it's not only sitting. It's not only in the sitting posture. That's hugely important. But whenever we are conducting ourselves, whenever in our daily lives we have the mind seated in no thought, that's how we reach this root. Our time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows. <laughs> 